welcome to a brand new Ars Blog Arscast right here on ArsBlog.com. Hope you're well and happy, at least from an Arsenal point of view. I don't see how you couldn't be, really. Another week, another couple of wins, and what good wins they were, too. Lovely football happening up front, solid at the back. Confidence boosting all over the place, and as I said in the blog, we're we're sitting here and we're we're basking in all the enjoyment of it all. Because have we finally reached after so many contentious weeks and months? Have we finally reached a place where pretty much every Arsenal fan is just happy right now? That's not to say the happiness is going to last forever. Of course, it's not. Something will happen that will set us at each other's throats again, and this lot will be constant, that lot will be constant. But, you know, just for now, everything feels pretty good, pretty mellow, pretty groovy, no? We're winning games, we're winning them well. We're top of the league, we're top of our Champions League group, we're winning penalty shootouts. You know, it's good, we're playing good football. We've got Ozil doing things. We've got Flamini doing things. We've got Per Mertesacker commanding at the back. We've got, it's all going on. And it's all good. We've got a multitude of injuries. We're throwing in 18-year-olds and they're coming in and playing like 19-and-a-half-year-olds. I don't really see what anyone's got to complain about right at this moment in time. It's good. It feels nice and weird, and but nice. And I think we deserve it, no? It's been so long since we've had this kind of feeling around the club that, well, it's it's long overdue. Sure, you can say, well, we could have done more to achieve this. Yes, of course, of course. But let's not analyze it. We live in a world where every single tiny thing is analyzed to within an inch of its life. We extrapolate and, and speculate and all these things, and we, we kind of suck the enjoyment out of pretty much everything. So let's not do that with this. I just think it's fun, it's happy, it's good. So, uh... Without wanting to spoil everything, that, that'll probably do it for this week's Arscast. Um, chat to you next week, um, when hopefully we might have something to talk about. No, I suppose I've got to go on a, a little bit longer than that. I'm growing a, a beard of happiness. I am, honestly, a beard of happiness. Listen, you can hear it there. That's my beard of happiness. And, and my beard of happiness is, is sort of um, becoming fulsome because not just good things are happening to Arsenal. You know, I kind of, you know, I'm perhaps, like many of you, a, a bit petty. I can hold a grudge sometimes. And I'm looking at our team right now and I'm looking at the way we're playing. And then I look down the table a bit and I see Manchester United. And I can't help but kind of, you know... Think about that guy that left last summer. And, and he must look at this Arsenal team now and think, wow, I could be getting assists from, from Mesut Ozil. Instead, I am playing with Anderson, who is essentially Danny DeVito with football boots. Sure, he's got himself a Premier League title medal, but, you know, was it worth it? That short-term gain? I don't know. But I'm enjoying it. Maybe it won't last. Maybe they'll come back. Maybe David Moyes actually is a managerial genius. 
and he'll set the United juggernaut rolling again. But for now, for now, Ozil or Anderson. And I can't help but sort of point and, and laugh a little bit. Because I'm like that. And you are too, you know it. Um, the games we played uh, this week, Swansea away, really tough game because they're a good footballing side. We know that. And the two teams in the first half kind of cancelled themselves out with their uh, mid... It was all played in midfield, really, wasn't it? When either team got towards the uh, the opposition penalty area, we found both defences playing particularly well. I thought ours was was rather majestic. Uh, per Mertesacker and Lauren Cassiel, they are as solid a partnership as we've had there for just, uh, I can't remember when, and Sanya and Gibbs. Gibbs. Kieran Gibbs, what? He's not called up to the England squad, which is great. It's fantastic. Because you don't want him going off and getting knackered with England, even though he is undoubtedly the best left back in England right now. Did you see Clichy in midweek playing for Manchester City? Ball comes in. Guy makes a run. Clichy runs in the opposite direction. What was he thinking? So we have Kieran Gibbs, who's been just fantastic and consistent, and maybe he's flying a little bit under the radar right now, but that's good. I like it. So second half against Swansea, Serge Nabry, who really tried to make things happen and put in a performance which uh, belied his youth and inexperience uh, from a defensive point of view. There was one point in the uh, in the second half where he, he blocked a shot on the edge of our box, sort of between the uh, Koscielny and Gibbs. Quite what he was doing there, I don't know, but he so switched on, which was fantastic. And the goal, the finish was brilliant. Uh, low into the bottom corner. And then, who else? Aaron Ramsey scoring a goal at a ground where all the fans are booing him simply because he's a ex-Cardiff player, which is fine. You know, those kind of uh, rivalries are fine. They're not booing him because he had the temerity to snap his shin into off somebody's boot. No, that's different. Uh, but that kind of shut them up. They got a goal back, uh, and it was a little bit nervy in the last 10 minutes, but um, I think we always looked like we were going to uh, be able to close them out. Chesney was fantastic in goal, taking crosses, commanding his area. And I think that's the first time we've really seen him command his area for quite some time. And hopefully uh, that's, a, that's a taste of things to come. Then midweek against Napoli. And what can you say? It was all set up to be a really difficult game because Napoli are a very good side, full of quality players, uh, managed by Rafa Benitez, who we know is a very tactical coach who would have set out his team to try and nullify Arsenal's threats. But it took him so long to figure out what Arsenal's threats actually were that his team was out of the game by the time he did it. Because if you look at the first goal, uh, Giroud is picking the ball up deep in midfield, playing it down to Ramsey down the line. Rosicki's in the centre-forward position. He makes a run towards the near post, takes two defenders with him. Ramsey crosses it, and Ozil finishes. And what a finish. What a finish. But how is any team really supposed to cope with that kind of movement? Ozil was a guy who was supposed to be playing in the centre. He's coming in from the left-hand side. Rosicki's in the, in the centre-forward position, darting towards the near post. Uh, and the, uh, the second goal, Ozil and Giroud combining really well, and I think there would have been players, if they'd been in the position that Ozil was in, would have just uh, uh, put the ball across and hoped for the best. But you could see him waiting, waiting, waiting. Giroud made the run between the defenders and the pass and the pace on the pass and the timing of the pass was perfect uh, and, and he couldn't miss from there 
first half we completely played them off the park. Last-ditch blocks and blocks on the line. And Second half, when they came out and they'd figured us out a little bit and came forward, all we did was just let them have the ball when we wanted to let them have the ball. Gave them a bit of space to shoot from distance. They just shot over the bar. And hugely encouraging to see the team being able to play in those two different ways. To attack, to swat a team aside, uh, to get themselves into a commanding lead, and then just be comfortable in keeping that lead. I thought the Arteta uh, um, Flamini thing worked really quite well. I think that's something we'll probably see throughout the season against teams like Napoli, against the best kind of opposition where you have a, a chaser, a harrier, somebody who can break up the play in, in, uh, in Flamini and Arteta, who's cool and calm and, and what have you in possession. It worked really well. Uh, and the issue is, of course, that we, we now start to have options. It's not a case of either Arteta or Flamini. He can do both. And when we get Cazorla back, Podolski back, Walcott back, Oxlade-Chamberlain, wow, those are options. Those are good options. So it's all very enjoyable. And and sometimes you just kind of forget, don't you? You know, when, when everything's up in the air or you're, you're firefighting or you're uh, trying to figure out what's going wrong or how do we fix this, that and the other, you kind of forget that football, not is supposed to be, but can be really, really fun. Not just moments of fun, but periods of, of fun and enjoyment. And, uh, yeah, it's great. It's great. And there's not, not much more to say than that. So this week, uh, rather than talk to somebody about the week that was, and, well, this was great and that was great, wasn't it? Yeah, that was Flemmy. What was your... It's like coming out of the cinema when you were a kid. What was your favourite bit? Oh, my favourite bit was when, when Rocky did that. You know. So rather than do that, uh, I've got somebody with me uh, this week uh, to talk about his new book, uh, which you may have seen on the site this week, Stillness and Speed, uh, the Dennis Bergkamp book. Uh, I'm delighted to welcome to the Arscast the author of that book, David Winner. Hi. Hi. I want to talk to you about the, the process of, of a book like this because I think uh, uh, listeners will find it interesting as to how a project like this uh, comes to pass. Is it your idea? Is it the, 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 the subject's idea, the publisher's idea? Uh, and how does it all sort of uh, get started? Was this something you had in mind or were you approached as somebody who might fit this particular project? A bit of both, actually. I'd, I'd, I'd interviewed Dennis years ago for my book, Brilliant Orange, but very ble- very briefly. It was literally like a sort of three-minute conversation. I uh, made a virtue of that in the book, just calling it a, a, a short chapter, very short. Um, but I've, I'd, I'd adored him as um, when I first sort of heard of him and saw him playing for Ajax and then followed him when he went to Inter and then when he came to Arsenal, you know, it was like all Christmases came at once mm-hmm. because the, the two things that I loved came together in him and then Arsenal started playing in his sort of total football Dutch way and then that accelerated and, and reached fruition with, with Wenger coming and the, the Invincibles and so on. Uh, I then, after he'd retired, I did an interview, a couple of interviews, quite long interviews with him for a couple of different magazines and after one of them, I said, oh, I'd love to do a book with you. And he said, yeah, yeah. And I just thought, this is absolutely never going to happen, because he was talking to a, a Dutch guy who I subsequently called Jaap Visser, who I subsequently uh, became friends with about something else. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he'd done a book about Odin van der Sar, and I 
and I did an article about that under Summer. He retired. Um, and then independently, Dennis and Yap sort of, Dennis decided, having always said that he would never do a book, kind of realized once he started working at Ajax as a trainer um, and as a coach that he, because he always used to think, well, I'll just let my feet do the talking and there's nothing really much for me to say. You know, people can watch or not watch. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I don't need to add anything to that. And now he's he's in a sort of different role and he's he, he, he about a year and a half ago, he sort of decided, well, I'd, you know what, I'd like to do a book. And he approached Yap. And then they were looking originally as a sort of add-on to have somebody in England and Italy do those bits of his career. And, and then they approached me. So it was, it was, it was kind of like that. As, as a subject to work with, um, I mean, I think people will look at a footballer's book and Dennis Bergkamp and think, you know, that they're uh, strange bedfellows in a way because too, so many of these books are are sort of painted by numbers, bog standard kind of, uh, you know, tales from the dressing Kiss room kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yes. And whereas Bergkamp is, as a player and even as a, as a man when he's been interviewed has always come across as uh, a bit more cerebral than that. Um, yes. Was, was that part of the brief to sort of avoid the, the pitfalls of those kind of books? Absolutely. It was, it was one thing he was very definite about, that he didn't want it to be called an autobiography, actually. The, the, the publishers sort of, um, it, it's not called an autobiography, but it's sort of positioned as one and is being taken to be one, but it's really not. He, it's a genre he doesn't like very much. He, he, I mean, there are some terrific autobiographies. One thinks of uh, Tony Adams, mm-hmm. for example, Addicted is a great book. Uh, but those are fairly few and far between. There's a lot, as you say, bog-standard ones, kiss and tell, sometimes rather spiteful, written for sort of short-term money and so that it would be serialized in the tabloids. You know, and Dennis just didn't want to have anything to do with that. That was um, that was not his interest at all. He wanted to talk about football and his career and his life in football and sort of pass on his wisdom, really. And the stuff that I was most interested in was to get at his you know the sort of the, the 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 process. What's what are the things that made and make Dennis Bergkamp so extraordinary? And we, I felt we didn't really need to talk about even the career stuff. I mean, we know what he won and and the big games and so on. So we've we've talked much more about some details, but also the sort of some quite philosophical stuff. And the other thing that he wanted to do was almost be in the background of his own book. So it wasn't just his voice. It's um, it's a lot of other people that he played with um, or was influenced by uh, or, who, you know, who were just sort of witnesses to his career. And so at, at Arsenal, it was people like uh, Ian Wright and Tony Adams and Thierry Henry and Vieira, people he was closest to, really. Um, Wenger, um, Vic Akers is, is in there briefly. He was very close with Vic Akers. Right. Um, and at Inter, it would be, you know, there's, there's a slightly different story, but some of the people he played with at Inter, at, at Ajax, Cruyff, um, Cruyff and so on. So, yeah, it's, it's, so they're all sort of commenting and he's commenting on their comments. And there's, there's quite a conversation going on through bits of the book. It strikes me that he is, you know, we, we talk about his intelligence, but he's, he was known on the pitch for his, his precision 
Um, yes. So I, I guess as as somebody who's who's writing uh, with somebody like that, it makes your job somewhat easier because I, I don't imagine him as sort of uh, you know firing out a load of uh, uh, of chaff and you've got to find the wheat from it. That pretty much all of it must have been fascinating and interesting, especially from the perspective you have. Yeah. Exactly like that. Um, you know, you just sort of set a tape going. Well, it's a digital recorder these days, but you know what I mean. <laughs> set, a, set a recorder going and just whatever he talks about, it's interesting. And he always comes at it from a slightly unexpected angle. And, and then some of the others did as well. Um, so, for example, Thierry Henry talking about the, the goal at Newcastle. We have a whole chapter about the goal at Newcastle. Um, taken from a, something that Dennis said, which was, um, what you know, because people are always saying, did he mean it? Did he really mean to do that? And he says, well, what do they mean? By what did I mean? <laughs> so we call that the meaning of meaning. We just turn it around. And he talks at length about, you know, the process of the goal, because he can do that very, very rare, that he can break down a thing that takes, you know, a second second and a half or something, can he break that down into milliseconds and, you know, the thought process that are 10 yards from the ball, when the ball was 10 yards from him, he decides to do it, to try it. And he, and he calculates and he thinks, well, you know, Dabizas, the defender, is, is near and he's not going to expect it. But if he takes a step back, he can ruin it, but he won't expect it. So I'm going to try it. And then he kind of calculates all the way around. Then Thierry, this is all, you know, it's, it's goosebump stuff. It's wonderful. It's like you're in his brain as he's <laughs> doing it. And, and then Thierry Henry adds something to it, because I'd thought about this goal and seen it and considered it a lot. He said, no, actually, I don't like, the turn is great and everything, but the bit I really like, the, the really extraordinary thing, he blocks Dabizas at the end, gives himself all the time in the world to do that, a real striker move. Every other player would have just been so happy that they'd done the turn, they'd get carried away and lose control. But Dennis didn't. And this is, the, you know, the essence of Dennis. And I was just, oh, my God, I'd never even thought of that. Mm. So it's the, the whole thing I was, I was hoping to, and I think Dennis does in you know, pretty much every page, he's telling you stuff you didn't know and that adds to your understanding of him, but also of football generally. It was, uh, you know, it was an absolute education to me. It was lovely. What about the, I mean, you talk about Thierry Henry and Ian Wright um, as people you spoke to. Were they obvious candidates or did you sit down with Dennis and say, look, you know, if we want to get more of a flavor of you as a, as a player, as a man, as a teammate, as, as an experienced head in the dressing room when he got to that point in his career, who should we, who should we talk to? No, we, so we sat down and he, he had a relatively short list of people. He said, well, you know, we can talk to lots and lots, so let's just keep it to these very special ones. I mean, that's not to denigrate any of the others mm. at all. It's just, you know, if you if you have everybody, you know, it's going to get cluttered. And the only exception to that was in Italy, his time in Italy, because it was originally, I mean, he had, a, as you know, uh, when he was at Inter, he had a pretty rotten time there, and they didn't understand. They were not on his wavelength at all. And... He's, his his approach with that was kind of I, I want to tell this from a football point of view, from, you know where it went wrong from a football point of view, and he, he originally came up with it was Paolo Tramazzani and Massimo Paganin, who were young guys who they were his friends in the team, right? But and one of them was in Albania, 
one of them was I can't even remember. We couldn't find him. And I said, well, why don't we why don't we speak to the guys you didn't get on with so well, who were actually sort of the, the guys running the team more as the senior people in the team? And he said, oh, actually, that's a good idea. It's a much better idea. And he's and uh, he said, well, you know, but I want to get my, I want to have my say as well. <laughs> so of course you can. It's your book. <laughs> so, oh yeah, of course. So in that case, so we. Um, and then he said a fantastic thing. He said, they have, you know, they'll have their truth. They have their truth. I have mine. And maybe the two can come together somehow. You, you could yeah. practically put that on United Nations buildings. You know, <laughs> you could make a, a political movement out of that. It's fantastic. And it was just, you know, very natural for him mm. that he's not, he's just not into conflict. He's he unlike Johann Cruyff, who you know is a mentor and and, and now close colleague, uh, running Ajax again. Um, so you know, it's likes things to be harmonious but productive. Mm. I mean, it's you interesting, know, isn't so, it? Yeah, very interesting. That there's, you know, there's more than one truth, or the truth is relative to the, yeah, to the yeah. circumstance. It's, it's unusual as well for a footballer to, uh, you know, to to look at it that way because with so many of these books that, well, this is what happened, and my version is yes. the be all, the be all, and the end yes. all. Um, yes. In in terms of Arsenal, because I just want to touch on that a little bit. Um, you know, you spoke about when he joined the two things you love coming together. And I can remember I was working um, in a radio station in Tipperary uh, for my sins. And on the day I was downstairs in the news department and they said, Arsenal have signed Dennis Bergkamp. And it was, well, what are you talking about here? You know, this is, this is Dennis Bergkamp. This is impossible. Mm. It's like an alien landing, a benign alien landing yeah. and, and showing us a higher civilization, yeah, which exactly. is what it was. Well, yeah. But, but did, was he aware of... The, the impact that he had on the club, because obviously there was a financial element, the one that brought him to the club. But then in terms of what it meant on the pitch, because Arsenal, a bit, you know, a good side, they won the title. But, you know, we saw what happened in the in the European Cup with Benfica, you know, that they were a long way short of what was happening in, in Europe. And all of a sudden, Bergkamp came along to a team that had finished, I think, 12th the season before, 12, you know, yes. the, the impact that he had on this club, and I think it still reverberates to this day, doesn't it? That, you know, without that signing, you know, how quickly would things have, have changed at Arsenal? It's a, it's a moot point how much would have would, would Arsene Wenger have changed it in that direction if Dennis hadn't been there first. Mm. Um, I'd probably a lot, but possibly not all the way. Because um, I, I think of... The two guys, you know, the, it's kind of a double act. They change Arsenal together. Sure. Because Dennis's technical influence is extraordinary. The way Ian Wright put it was um, that, you know, as soon as Arsenal sign Dennis, it's like like the scene in Spider-Man where the spider bites the man. And there's a sort of one-minute one minute scene of of the DNA inside the blood all sort of... Yeah. Sort of boiling and changing. <laughs> the That's it. That's, the DNA of the club is now never going to be what it was because Dennis came. And I think he's completely right. I mean, you saw it, you know, he was hugely influenced himself. He was overjoyed, was thrilled when Dennis came because he said, you know, the, he, Dennis arriving made him a 30 to 40% better player, as Ian Bright talking. Which is which is quite a thing because Ian was the, the, the star at that time. Absolutely, he was. 
he was, you know, almost Mr. Arsenal. And that's the, you know, the argument with, um, with Bruce Rioch. Bruce Rioch was never going to win because Ian was, was, was much bigger, essentially. Um, but yeah, he did, so Dennis Kaye came and all the, Bob Wilson says it, he's, you know, that the, all the players watching Dennis doing stuff on the, on the training was like, mouths practically hanging open, you know, never seen anything like this. And they all start to kind of raise their game. Dennis isn't telling them to do it. He's not really saying anything. He's just leading by example. And from being, you know, one nil to the Arsenal, boring Arsenal, it becomes the most technical team in Britain. And later the most beautiful team there's ever been in Britain, probably. Mm. Um, And Thierry Henry said he, you know, for him, Dennis was the master always. Then Dennis says about about Henry, well, I, you know, that's really nice, but he's, I regarded him as the better. <laughs> so they say, they say that about each other. But you know, Terry's quite fulsome in his in his admiration, his praise for Dennis, and for the whole Dutch sort of the, the, the whole Dutch way of playing, which is what then is transplanted effectively into Arsenal, because mm. Wenger also is hugely sort of a, a total football guy who's greatly influenced by the teams of the seventies. And so on. So you have yeah, a huge culture change that happens at Arsenal because Dennis comes and it was still with it. Absolutely. Mm, and there was, I think with Bergkamp as well, there's a, um, what maybe set him apart as well is this just intense professionalism that he had on the pitch, off the pitch for training, um, you know, leaving aside the, 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 the flying issue, which is a separate thing. I mean, for, for young players to grow up, uh, on the same training pitch as, as Dennis Bergkamp. Uh, young people are young people and they'll go their own path. But, you know, those that really wanted to learn from him really could have. Well, they, and they did. And they were, he was, that's another theme that comes through very strongly that, that everybody was hugely influenced and very, you know, profoundly impressed by the way Dennis would just go 100% every single training session and stay behind long afterwards working on, uh, you know, working on stuff, whatever it was. Mm. Um, just totally dedicated and not, not in a sort of fanatic way. It was, it was fun. You know, he loved doing it and, and people around him loved doing it with him and, and around him. Robin Van Persie told a, a story to um, a Dutch writer called Henk Spahn, who, who, which we've used, we've used in the book. I didn't actually speak with Robin. Um, about how he's coming back from injury or something, and he's watching, or Dennis, I forget, he's watching, anyway, from a, a jacuzzi or a bath with a window open, and he's watching Dennis do uh, a quite complicated routine involving receiving a ball, sort of, I think, shooting over some barrier or something. I can't remember what it is. It's, it's quite complicated, and he's doing it with a couple of trainees, and Robin is watching from the bath, and he says, well, I'm just going to watch this, and as soon as Dennis makes a mistake, I'm going to get out of the bath. And he watches. <laughs> he and he watches. Prune. And he's like a prune. Dennis is doing this for like 40 minutes. He hasn't made a single mistake. And this is a stage in his career where he's not actually playing that often because he's getting, you know, he's deep into his 30s now. And he's, you know, he's being used sparingly. But he's absolutely... Robin Van Persie is absolutely riveted and changed by this uh, this thing of watching Dennis because he he says you know it suddenly hit him this is Dennis Bergkamp this is how he does it this is how I've got to do it 
And you could sort of mark pretty much from that day, the, the, because when Robin Van Persie arrived, he was he was pretty flaky and and arrogant and mm. and you know was always in trouble and getting getting cards and things. And he suddenly there's this kind of exponential improvement in him that culminates in the, his great last season with us. And then you go to Man U, but he becomes and he keeps changing. He keeps developing. And he learned this from Dennis, basically, that he was the example. It's... And I think all the players, you know, who would basically, Thierry says, he said, you know, if, you, if you're training and you're in a team with Dennis and you're not feeding off him, you're an idiot. Yeah, well, to talk about a, a wasted opportunity, really. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, David, we better leave it there, but it's, it sounds a fascinating book. Um, we've been running a competition uh, all week on the site, and it's had more entries than any other competition we've ever run, so uh, that'll show you the popularity <laughs> of, of the man himself. Um, I hope well, he's, all... he's deeply loved, isn't he? There's, yeah, you know, who does it? It's palpable. Yeah. It really is. All right, well, listen, thank you very much indeed for your time, and um, uh, best of luck with the book. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you very much indeed to David Winner. It sounds like a brilliant book. Uh, I'm waiting for my copy, so I'll get stuck into that as soon as it arrives. It is in all good bookshops now and also available for your digital pleasure uh, on your uh, Kindle or through iBooks or Kobo. So if you fancy uh, a read of that immediately, you can just download it as well. Right then, before we crack on with the show, some of this. It's time to travel the globe. We're on tour with Andre. Hello and welcome to First on Tour with Andre. I will travel the globe meeting different people and getting to know different cultures and puddings. <laughs> I love pudding, but today, in first ever show, I am here in Ireland. I don't know why I don't pick somewhere else, like Caribbean or Syria, somewhere where there is a lot of sun, because as you can hear, it's very raining here, a lot of wet, and I don't like wet, no, Harshavin don't like this. So, I am going to get out of rain and do first typical thing that they do here in Ireland, is go to the pub. Oh, Jesus, I just wet pants. So here I am, I am inside pub, uh, dry, which is good. I have a pint of some kind of, I assume, is, is beer. I try. Oh, it tastes like uh, when you get filling and swallow a bit of filling. Uh, maybe it's a quiet taste. But I also am chatting to a typical man who comes to the bar in Ireland. Uh, hello. Oh, well, hello there. So you uh, come to bar when it's raining to stay dry and have something to drink, but what happens when it's not raining? What is typical thing to do here? Eh, what exactly do you mean, like, when it's not raining? I mean, when sun come out, you know? Eh, no, don't really know what you're talking about there. You know what, you remind me of somebody, I have to say. Well, uh, perhaps it is uh, somebody who play for Arsenal Football Club. Oh, Arsenal, well, let me tell you a thing or two about Arsenal. There was a player there back in 1963 by the name of Declan O'Donnell. 
No, he wasn't called Declan O'Donnell. He was called Plopoy. Because what happened was, you see, he got a bit of dog poo in his eye. And it was that old tale that if you got dog poo in your eye, you went blind. And he did. He only had one eye. That's why they called him Plopoy. Not because he was a cyclops, but because he got poo in his eye. And it really hampered his Arthur football career, I have to say. I think I might go try speak to a different person in bar because uh, this man is a... So, uh, here is another man in bar. Uh, looks like very typical Irish man. Uh, quite scary. Uh, hello, what is your name? Hello, my name is George. Hello, it's uh, nice to meet you, George. I have a question about uh, what typical food here is in Ireland. What do you uh, like to eat? Tourists. What? Well, you know, kebabs and that. We like those and um, burgers and chips. Findus crispy pancakes, potato waffles, and sometimes are young. Um, I'm not sure what to say. Would you like to buy Mother Teresa's head, would you? Oh, I think it is time I have left Ireland. Hopefully, I will be back sometime soon with a report from another place. Bit less weird than this. This place is more crazy than LA. Do you want to kiss me, sister? I don't even have a sister. Where will he turn up next? The answer is somewhere. Who knows where and when we might catch up with Andre again, but sometime, soon, and somewhere. That much is inevitable. Before we crack on with the last bit of the show, a little bit of a competition for you. Uh, thanks to our chums at 3nil.com. They've got a, a really cool Mesut Ozil uh, print or poster, which is uh, 12 inches by 18 inches. It's all uh, cool and groovy. You can check it out on their site, 3nil.com. Um, we've got two of these to give away, so all I want from you is the answer to the following question. Where did Mesut Ozil play? Ozil, Ozil, see, I'm confused. Where did he play uh, before he uh, he joined Real Madrid? From which club did he join Real Madrid from which club? What was the club he played for in Germany? Jesus, I should have thought about this before I started. What was the club he played for in Germany before he joined Real Madrid? Fuck. Anyway, the answer, please, to competition at arsblog.com. That's competition at arsblog.com. We've got two of these posters to give away, and I'll give you the winners on next week's show. 3nil.com to check it out, and that's three in terms of letters, and not just the number three and then nil. It's not that. It's 3nil.com. No hyphens. Uh, all lowercase. <laughs> yeah, talk about making a bollocks of that bit. But anyway, you can go check it out. Uh, looking ahead to the weekend, um, a doubt over Bakary Sanya for the trip to the uh, to the Hawthorns. I think we're making a trip, aren't we? Fuck, I really should have looked all this stuff up. Maybe I should just know it. You know, this is stuff I should just know. But I don't think we're playing at home. No, we're away. I knew that. I knew that. I'm just doubting myself now at this point. But uh, Bakary Sanya could be out, so that could mean Carl Jenkinson starts. Nobody else back. So we're going to see Santi Cazorla after the international break. Same with um, Yaya Sanogo, Theo Walcott as well. Um, I guess we have to be a bit mindful of the fact that West Brom are actually quite good. 
as much as we're laughing at Manchester United um, for what they uh, are not achieving so far this season, the fact is West Brom were very good against them uh, last weekend when they deservedly won the game. So even though we won there on penalties uh, last week, I think we're going to have to be uh, on our game again on Sunday if we want to take the three points. It's uh, it's hard to say anything in particular about this Arsenal side. You just want them to keep playing the way that they're playing, keep the concentration high. The confidence is obviously high, but it's all about the application. You don't want to get too carried away with yourself. You can't get cocky or anything like that. You've got to keep putting the work in. If we do that, I think we've got the quality to take the three points. Uh, if not, we could find ourselves uh, in for a bit of a game. I think this was uh, one last season which uh, was uh, nail-biting, excruciating game, wasn't it? Was this when uh, Mertesacker got sent off? We were cruising 2-0 up. Uh, I think it was two goals from Thomas Rosicki. Mertesacker got sent off. They scored a penalty and all of a sudden we're hanging on by uh, uh, by our whatever fingernails yes that's generally what you hang on by christ um so we uh yeah we did that and i remember was it lukaku or they missed about three or four good chances in the last 10 minutes so hopefully it's nothing like that hopefully a bit more like the game we saw in midweek against napoli uh but it is going to be tough and then we go into an interlull joy of joys another chance for our players to go away and get knackered but hopefully we'll be going into the interlull top of the league and uh with another three points under our belt uh i guess there'll probably be some kind of arse cast next week or perhaps we'll do a, a, a hangout or something like that given the fact that there's no football but something probably but maybe not you can't hold me to it if there's nothing going on there's not much point in me talking about nothing really so um don't don't go mad or anything and then don't say where's the arse cast if there isn't one and if there is one then nobody has to have any crosswords with anyone do they this is perhaps the worst five minutes of broadcasting of my entire life, so I'm going to uh, knock it on the head right here. Here's to three points of the weekends. Have yourselves uh, a great weekend. Up the arse uh, and talk to you on next week's ArsCast, if there is one. Cheers. Bye-bye. so painful how did it end up uh, here last thing I remember Hemin Bar man is talking about telling me history of some player and George he gives me drink then nothing nothing oh there was oh wait alleyway it's very dark. Oh. Oh, no. Oh, God. Never coming back here. Never. Oh.